the birthplace of the coronavirus. Probably this facility, the laboratory in Wuhan, China. A laboratory with all kinds of military overtones. If I said that a year ago, uh, I'd be branded a conspiracy theorist. I might be kicked off of social media. But now even the experts are acknowledging substantial indications that it came from this place. Not even Dr. Fauci can dismiss that at this point. And we had a beautiful statement from the former president of the United States today, Donald Trump, and it makes a lot of sense. The correspondence between Dr. Fauci and China speaks too loudly for anyone to ignore. China should pay $10 trillion to America and the world for the death and destruction they caused. Wow. How about that? How about that for leadership? How about there for clear-cut leadership? All right. Now, the opposite of clear-cut leadership, Dr. Fauci. He's got all kinds of problems now. A lot of people suspect that uh, he may not be around for too much longer. Dr. Fauci has been... Let's face it, incorrect, inconsistent, uh, a bureaucrat playing both sides. And uh, I think he let down President Trump. He let down the country, probably letting down in his own way, Joe Biden. All kinds of correspondence we're going through right now that indicates, uh, number one, how wrong he has been. And number two, that he knew a lot more about the situation with that laboratory than he's let on publicly. He allowed that theory to be minimized as a conspiracy theory. He knows better, and he knew better. Now, what is the mainstream media going to do? Are they going to call him out on this stuff? Remember, they've been in love with him for a long time, all of those beautiful profiles. I saw one reporter who went jogging with Dr. Fauci. Somehow, he came out a hero in all of this with them, maybe because he signaled he didn't like Donald Trump. So what are they going to do right now? Because this guy, <laughs> it's not looking good at all. What are they going to do? So far, it looks like they're going to ignore it. Let's go to uh, David Muir, that thoughtful man, they say, on ABC News. Dr. Fauci making news late today, talking about those states where uh, the vaccination numbers are considerably lower than the national average. And his concern as we now head toward the fourth... Exactly, David. Dr. Fauci says what he doesn't want to see are these many little outbreaks in those areas. This was on the evening news. Nobody cares about what he's talking about with the mini outbreaks. and all. He's been saying that stuff for a year and a half. We care about the emails, the emails right now and the stuff that he was saying and the stuff that he was reading. Why didn't they ask about that? And when they do ask, they do it in the most polite, ooh, utterly cautious way. Here's NBC News. Dr. Fauci, some of your emails were obtained by several news organizations under the Freedom of Information Act. You exchanged emails with the Chinese director of their Center for Disease Control. President Trump's former chief of staff today suggested that you and others didn't do enough to investigate the origins of the virus. Did you? Did you? Did you? You see, it has some teeth, and then they let him off the hook. Did you? Did you do that? Did you do your job? And he can answer it any old way. Better question is, what did you know and when did you know it? This seems to indicate that you know that that Wuhan lab may have been involved in all this. How do they respond? Like any classic bureaucrat would. So when you talk about investigating the origins, I don't believe that that's the role of the National Institutes of Health. Ah, right? Not my job. Just like any good bureaucrat. But most bureaucrats don't wind up on the cover of InStyle magazine. That's what did it for me, this little moment. I'm like, wait a second. The whole country is suffering, and he's having a grand time 
in sunglasses by his pool made no sense. So when I heard about his book deal, I wasn't totally shocked. A book deal. While you weren't working, while this city was shut down, the country was shut down, the world was shut down, he had a documentary film crew following him around, and he wrote a book. You have time to write a book. Think about the busiest time in your life. Everybody has a crisis or two at work, at home. Could you write a book during one of those crises? Nobody could. No normal person could. No responsible person could. He's poised to make a lot of money. And here's the, indica- here's the giveaway that he's going to make a lot of money on this book. National Geographic, the publisher, they put this out. He will not earn any royalties from its publication. What an interesting phrase. Royalties. That means you get like a buck every time a book is sold or whatever. You get a portion of the proceeds. Nobody makes money that way. You make money on the advance. Just ask Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo made $5 million uh, on the advance. The upfront money. You know, here's it. Here, here it is up front. We may or may not even make that money back, but you get $5 million. How much did Fauci get? I would really, really like to know. All right. AOC, we've got to update you on a little episode she's having. Yeah, not that one on the floor, although it was a wild one when she was flailing like that. She took to Twitter and um, told us about her grandmother. All right, just over a week ago, my abuela, abuela, Spanish for grandmother, fell ill. I went to Puerto Rico to see her, my first time in a year because of COVID. This is her home. Hurricane Maria relief has not arrived. Trump blocked relief money for Puerto Rico. People are being forced to flee ancestral homes and developers are taking them. And then it shows some pictures of a pretty crummy uh, room, uh, dilapidated stuff falling off the ceiling, that kind of thing. Uh, And this is her grandmother's home. So this is AOC's abuela, grandmother. Looks uh, very nice, but you saw her home situation, not nice at all. AOC, instead of waiting for the government, instead of having waited for Donald Trump, could have done something on her own. She has the means. You know, she gets all kinds of side gigs all the time, like this one with HBO. Yeah, she was on an HBO TV show playing herself, and you get money for that kind of stuff. You do. All right, but I want to take another look at uh, the abuela's house, okay? It does look pretty run down, not too nice. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Go to Home Depot. They're actually all over the place in Puerto Rico. Vamos a parar un segundo. A enfocarnos. Vamos a visualizar nuestra idea. Y vamos a romper con lo esperado. Vamos a ahorrar mientras convertimos lo moderno y lo tradicional en lo nuestro. Empecemos hoy en un lugar lleno de posibilidades. Vamos a terminar convirtiendo en hogar cada habitación sin detenernos. Vamos a hacerlo. The Home Depot. Haz más ahorrando. Yeah, there are like a hundred or so Home Depots on the island of Puerto Rico, all right? You don't have to wait for Donald Trump or uh, the government, all right? AOC, I think your abuela deserves it. Plenty of talented craftsmen down there as well. All right, stay with us. Madison Cawthorn will be here, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and why is Joe Biden trying to get everybody to drink beer? Be right back. checked out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I 
can say is that, is that the, the fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, it, do they? They don't. You know, uh, here's an item. Joe Biden, so excited about vaccinating uh, and not giving Donald Trump any credit, um, added this incentive to the list of why you should get vaccinated. And to top it off, Anheuser-Busch announced that beer is on them on July the 4th. That's right. Get a shot and have a beer. Free beer for everyone 21 years or over to celebrate the independence from the virus. You know, we're not in college anymore, all right? That's not an incentive. It's silly. Uh, but the media went nuts. They swooned over this. They thought it was so interesting. More incentives are being rolled out. Like free beer. Anheuser-Busch is even offering to buy Americans a round of beer if Biden's 70% goal is met. Free beer and baseball tickets are up for grabs as the White House doubles down. All right. Uh, sorry to be a buzzkill, but uh, beer is the last thing this country needs on Moss. Uh, Hunter Biden is an alcoholic. He is a drug addict. We don't want beer around him. And you know what? Everybody's a bit vulnerable after going through coronavirus. Yeah, we are. Uh, life expectancy is going down in this country. One of the reasons why Donald Trump won in 2016, he talked about addiction like no other candidate had up until that point. And while he was president, he was warning folks about uh, the dangers. Yep. People are losing their jobs. They're committing suicide. There's depression, alcohol, drugs at a level that nobody's ever seen before. There's abuse, tremendous abuse. We have to open our country. So, look, I think it's a bad idea for the president of the United States, Joe Biden, to be running out there, eh, free beer for everybody. Um, but it kind of makes sense. Do you remember the debates and how Joe Biden was protected, actively protected by the moderators, especially Kristen Welker and uh, Chris Wallace? Well, the debate commission had something to do with that. There is an actual presidential commission. They run the debates, and hopefully um, they'll reform it next time. But take a look in the middle. See that great big logo? It actually looks a lot like a beer logo. Anheuser-Busch. Yup, Anheuser-Busch is the prime sponsor of the presidential commission on debates. Hmm? No wonder why Joe wanted to give them a great big fat shout out after all that commission and those debate moderators did for him. All right. I want to talk about something else now. I'm still reading Barack Obama's uh, memoir, his fifth, about himself, Promised Land. So this puzzles me. Again, like we talked about yesterday, his faith is up to him, but I think he's misrepresented his faith. I really do. Over the years, he has. There's something up. Now, in this book, we talked about how he uh, at one point said he was a Muslim. Was it in jest? I don't know. But it's the way he talks about Christianity that actually bothers me. Every time he brings it up, it's in a dismissive way or trying to highlight someone's perceived hypocrisy. He perceives hypocrisy. Let's go through this. He talks about her, McCain's vice presidential running mate. She'd married her high school sweetheart, had five kids, including a teenage son about to be deployed to Iraq and a baby with Down syndrome, professed a conservative Christian faith and enjoyed hunting moose and elk during her spare, professed a conservative Christian faith. This comes through again and again. He doesn't really buy that people are of faith, of genuine faith. How about this, later in the book? And this is, these are just two examples. He was talking about Pastor Wright, remember him? My pastor would point out the gap between America's professed Christian ideals and its brutal racial history. That's about as deep as he gets about Christianity in his book. 
and then there's this that I gnawing at me, but back when he was running for president in 2008, he seemed to get tripped up about what he does believe. What I was suggesting, you're absolutely right that John McCain has not uh, talked about my Muslim faith, and you're absolutely right that that has not Christian come faith. My, my Christian faith. And, well, what I'm saying is that he hasn't suggested that I'm, right. that I'm uh, a Muslim. That's interesting. Right? I think so. And George Stephanopoulos uh, tried to correct him there. Maybe he's an atheist. And look, I've got atheist friends, and we'll have an atheist president maybe someday. But I think you've got to be straight with the American people about what you believe. And now that he's not president, maybe he finally can be straight. He said this to a New York Times reporter. Let's put it on the screen, please. Uh, we're just a bunch of humans with doubts and confusion. We do the best we can. And the best thing we can do is treat each other better. Because we're all we got because we are all we got if you're a believer you know we've got a lot more than each other it's great to treat each other well and we should uh but we've got god and a lot of us believe that we've got jesus and uh very puzzling to me so who knows what he is but uh i know this he's rich we also have this Black lives do matter, not the way the Black Lives Movement says they only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, all black lives matter, including the life of 18-year-old Kennedy Hobbs, shot and killed outside a gas station in Jackson, Mississippi. It happened just hours after she graduated from high school. She was on her way to a graduation party just two months after her 21-year-old boyfriend, Jaquan Williams, was shot and killed outside of a convenience store. The shooter fled the scene before officers arrived. No one's been arrested. Police don't know if she knew the killer. They're investigating whether it may be linked to the boyfriend's death. Family says this is not fair and the violence needs to stop. We're here to say we're tired. We're tired of these type of news briefs. We're tired of our children being murdered in the street. Tired, of course, of course. No one suspects law enforcement was involved in this, could have gang overtones. 18-year-old Kennedy Hobbs shot just after her high school graduation on her way to a high school graduation party, just 18 years old. We'll be right back. Congressman Madison Cawthorn joins us, Republican from North Carolina. Forgive me, sir, but the youngest member of the U.S. Congress, and I think that's pretty awesome. Well, Greg, I'll tell you, I like it a lot. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not until 30 am I qualified to be called congressman, so you can just call me Madison. Wait a second, wait a second. At 30, you're qualified to run for the Senate. Who knows? That is, mean, who knows what's going to happen? I, I'm just serving the people of Western North Carolina. Real quick. Um, Biggest joy? Is there a joy in this job? And there must be a frustration or two. Yeah, biggest frustration, I would say. You know, the biggest joy has got to be the mainstream media. They just they, they, <laughs> they paint you in such a rosy light. Uh, no, I would say the biggest joy is getting to every single morning wake up and you get to work for about 14 hours nonstop all day. I get to go home. Just got married about eight weeks ago, and so I get to spend some time with my wife. And then when I go to bed at night, I know that I have worked for the American people, the people of my hometown where I was raised, my mountains. And I've tried to bring mountain values to Washington, D.C. Uh, now, the biggest frustration is the, really, I would say, the establishment in Washington. Uh, the way business is handled, the way that they, they value seniority more so than they actually value if you have good ideas or if you're caring about your people. 
Uh, they just want to know that you're going to be there to play the political game and, and, you know, really go around kissing all the rings. Well, speaking of political games, uh, Dr. Fauci is making news in a big, big, big way. Uh, he's been caught in some uh, inconsistencies, huh? Mm. Let's take a look. The NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute Do they fund of Dr. Barrick? We do not fund... Do you fund gain, Dr. Barrick's gain-of-function research? D Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is, it's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina. North Carolina, how about that? But take a look at these emails. Uh, let's see. This is from Fauci. Uh, it is essential that we speak this a.m. Keep your cell phone on. I have a conference call at 745 with Azar, Secretary Azar. It is likely will be over at 845. Read this paper as well as the email that I will forward to you now. You will have tasks today that must be done. All right. The paper you sent me says the experiments were performed before the gain of function pause, but have since been reviewed and approved by NIH. Um, look, he knows a lot more than he was letting on publicly. Indeed. And really, when you start looking into it, it's actually so surprising that he just was such a bold-faced liar. Uh, you know, really, I'm surprised he didn't talk to Hillary Clinton and have all his emails wiped hmm. once he found out that there was a FOIA request. Uh, but once you start looking into all of his emails, I mean, you see the sheer laziness of this man. Uh, you see how he didn't have time to actually read papers that would explain ways that hydroxychloroquine would actually treat the COVID-19 virus. Yeah. Uh, but he does have time to send, send emails saying, oh, you know what they were saying? They were, they were kidding me to Brad Pitt. They were saying that I was sexy and hot. I mean, you know, these are emails that he ta takes time to respond to. But when he sees an email, it's you know, two pages long. He sends it off to a staffer and says, too long for me to read, direct quote. How do you feel about the book deal? Uh, we don't know how much money he's uh, making <laughs> National Geographic put out. He's not making any royalties, but you can still make money without royalties. Uh, how could he have written a book during all of this? Exactly. Well, the reason that he probably could, felt comfortable to actually write a book during all this is because if you look through his emails in the very beginning, he admitted that this wasn't very dangerous. He admitted that masks weren't going to work. Uh, he admitted to many people, and he was told by other scientists, that the tsunami, end quote, of, the, of cases we were going to see in America has probably already come and gone, and that, you know, we probably passed the worst of it. And so he said, you know, it's actually not that, that dangerous, but I'm going to try and profit off all of this. Meanwhile, he is destroying people's lives. Imagine the children who, you know, in their very early developmental ages have had to grow up in a world where people are all wearing masks and where they're not being able to understand any social cues. How much is that going to keep them behind the eight ball? It's disgusting what he's done to American businesses and young children. So he has uh, he's had his critics, you know, Rand Paul, people like that, you. Uh, what's happening in D.C. right now? Is there a great deal of, I mean, are, are his days numbered and are more people kind of suspicious? His days are numbered. You know, I know an insider at the White House who has uh, spoken very openly to me that they are talking about exit strategies for Anthony Fauci. Uh, but it's very, very clear. You know, I'm happy that his book deal is probably going to get destroyed because this person has destroyed so many lives. But really, he lost my trust well before this. He lost my trust, you know, I think probably even under the Trump administration when he was going back and forth as if masks work. And then he would say masks don't work. He'd say, oh, yeah, well, we, we don't really know how to treat this. And he, there were so many inconsistencies. It seems like he was a megalomaniac. Act. Uh, you could see him at a ball game with his mask down when he was forcing everyone else to wear a mask. And then you saw him throw that terrible pitch. And how can you follow anybody who can pitch like that? 
Who could forget that pitch? And also, who could forget that he wasn't wearing a mask mm. in the stands? Remember that? I remember that. I mean, the picture. It, it, and it just was, it, it not, reeks with hypocrisy, which is common in Washington, D.C. How are you getting along? Uh, have you met her even? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm. She's uh, slightly senior to you, but not too much. She was there, got there one term before you. Have you met? Have you uh, worked together? Uh, you know, we've met, absolutely have not worked together. Um, but, you know, I'll give her this. I'll take an honest socialist over these two-faced liars on both sides of the political aisle we have in Washington. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I actually went to her district today over in Queens, uh, right outside of Queens, and I just wanted to stop at the police stations over there because I know that the cops in her district are being admonished. They're being attacked constantly. They're being told that they're worthless. I know their numbers are fluctuating like crazy because it's hard to keep a police force in an area that hates them so much. And as soon as we got out of the car, the police officers recognized us. They let us right into the precincts. We just went in, just shook their hands to let them know how much we appreciate them, that we'll never always have their back. We'll never let, let, the, let the federal government take away their ability to have uh, body armor, take away their ability to defend themselves, take their ability to go home to their families at night, and they appreciated it so much. You can tell that AOC never stops in at the, her police precincts. Fabulous that you did that. We've got big problems up here, and it's great that you'll be uh, working for the cops down there in Washington. Hey, real quick, uh, you know the commission was is not going to happen right now on January 6th. When I looked at the legislation, it seemed uh, like the deck was stacked, mm. uh, that this was a Democrat mission to uh, embarrass Republicans somehow. Uh, is there any possibility that a true commission could be formed? Because I've got questions about that day. I want to know why security wasn't better. I want to know what happened to Ashley Babbitt, who shot her, that kind of thing. Will we get to the bottom of all that? You know, I highly doubt we will. Uh, the the Capitol Police and the Sergeant at Arms, the way that Washington's set up is they answer directly to Nancy Pelosi right now. Uh, so the men and women in the Capitol Police, I would say, are incredible police officers. Uh, they're incredible security forces. I have enjoyed getting to know them every single day. But the higher echelon ranks, they answer to the sergeant arms who answers to Nancy Pelosi, and they are incredibly politicized. They've been weaponized against Republicans, and, and it's really, really sad. And so, you know, I, I would like to see a commission that is going to start looking at all of the recent political violence. If you want to narrow the scope just down to January 6th, I've got some questions about that day, too. But I want to look into Black Lives Matter protests. I want to look into the six officers who died last summer during all the uh, protests that happened then. I want to know exactly why we have a domestic terror organization on our waters that is tax-exempt. It doesn't make any sense. Um, real quick, if you don't mind, uh, when we see, saw you speak at the Republican National Convention and we saw that you were in a wheelchair and I think you talked a little bit about that horrible accident you mm. had. If you had not had that accident, though, you would not be a congressman right now at the age of 25. It's pretty astounding. Um, any message for anybody out there who is going through a time of adversity and thinks that all might be lost? Absolutely. That's something I'm actually very passionate about. You know, if you go through a hard time and, or if you're dealt a bad hand in this world, this is why I'm actually against critical race theory so much, uh, because critical race theory is teaching people that they have got to be a victim. It's teaching people that, hey, you know, because of something in your life that you can't control, your life's going to be different forever and, and you're never going to be able to accomplish anything. Your circumstances do not define who you are in this nation. Your ability to have resilience and your ability to stick to a goal and work at it day after day, no matter the hardships that you face, no matter the, the inconveniences that have come your way, that is what defines who you are in this nation. And I believe the American spirit is indomitable, and I believe we should be teaching people to be victors and not victims. So everyone that's out there hurting or going through a hard time, keep your head down, grit your teeth. It's going to be hard. Your life is not going to be easy. But you were created to work, and you were created to work hard. Madison Cawthorn. Republican of North Carolina, to be continued, sir. It's an honor, brother. Thank you for having me on. You got it. We'll be right back.
Well, to me, this doesn't look right. That is a U.S. embassy, I believe in Moscow. The American flag, great. What is the LGBTQ flag doing there as well? Embassies throughout the world are flying not one, but two flags, sometimes three flags. Black Lives Matter as well. Um, what does that have to do with anything? Please, someone tell me. Uh, there are some folks who don't like this in Congress as well, including one of our favorites, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Hi, Greg. Um, it's good to be here with you tonight. Uh, so, look, this does seem kind of ludicrous to me, and you're doing something about it. Absolutely. I'm so proud to be a co-sponsor on the only Old Glory Act. The reason why this is important is the American flag is the flag that represents every single American. We don't need political identity politics. We don't need the Democrat Party making one group more important than the other. The only flag that sh should fly over any of our U.S. embassies, over any of our federal buildings, is Old Glory, the beautiful stars and stripes. And that's why I'm so proud of this bill and very happy to be a co-sponsor. It makes perfect sense. It's kind of weird that we have to that we're in a place now where you have to make a law for something so obvious. But you do. Um, and also you mentioned LGBTQ. There are all kinds of other flags that are flying. Black Lives Matter. And let's face it, that is very, very divisive. Some of the LGBTQ issues are divisive. And that's another flag that's flying in the mix. This this is all Biden. Is this all Biden administration initiated? I believe so. Um, and first of all, Black Lives Matter is a domestic terrorist organization. So that is no flag that should ever fly over any of our government buildings. Um, the LGBTQ flag, that's not a flag that needs to be flown over our government buildings either. The American flag represents all Americans, and that is the only flag that should ever be flown, period. And there's no argument about it. So the, that's why I'm introducing this bill and I believe it's very important for everyone to support it. We remember when the Obama administration, his IRS department went after uh, conservative groups um, in a pretty ugly way, and uh, we all found out about it and nothing happened. You pointed out, and you've been highlighting that in the new Biden budget, they're hiring like tens of thousands of new IRS agents. Do you have concerns about how they may be used? Oh, this is this is a huge topic and no one is talking about it. I've been screaming about it from the rooftops. Greg, this is a very big deal. We remember years ago when the IRS was weaponized during the Obama Biden administration and they were targeting conservative groups. And that was under Lois Lerner, who, by the way, never was held accountable, never served time in jail. Well, now we have under the Biden administration in his six trillion dollar budget which is nothing but socialism, we are seeing he, he wants to introduce 87,000 IRS agents. He wants them hired, and they will be weaponized to target Trump voters, Trump donors, NRA donors, you name it. But if you're conservative, I guarantee you, you will be a target of the IRS under the Biden administration. This is something that should terrify everyone. He's also adding $80 billion on top of the IRS's existing budget so they are going to be heavily using the IRS to go after all enemies of the Biden of the Biden administration and of Democrats. And you know exactly who that will be. That'll be me, you and every single conservative and small business owners all across the country. Wow. You brought me into it. Yeah. Now I'm really concerned <laughs> and I can see that happening. Uh, listen, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, your Democrat uh, colleague. I know you're not close, but uh, she is saying some interesting things about uh, uh, prison population. Let's listen together. 
If we want to reduce violent crime, if we want to reduce the number of people in our jails, the answer is to stop building more of them. The answer is to make sure that we actually build more hospitals. We pay organizers. We get people mental health care and overall health care, employment, et cetera. It's to support communities, not throw them away. All right. Sometimes I think she's just like a she's like a fourth grader. I mean, she's uh, very simple ideas, uh, but she does hold a lot of sway. What do you think of the conversation that's happening right now about criminal justice reform? Well, the problem with AOC is she believes government is God and she believes that government should be solving all problems in society where she can't be further from the truth. This is why this woman should debate me. I would really like to challenge her on her ideas. Her ideas are straight socialism. If we want to end violent crime, then we should be funding the police and we should be supporting our police officers all over the country in every single community. If we want to end violent crime, then we should be making more arrests and holding people accountable. And we should have strong prison systems that turn people over and then turn them back into society completely reformed. If we want to end violent crime, it's support the police, not defund the police, AOC. <laughs> and uh, to your point that she thinks government is God and government is in, responsible for everything. Her grandmother's house uh, looks like it's a wreck. Sorry, down in Puerto Rico. She posted pictures of it on Twitter and a message that she's waiting for Donald Trump or was waiting for Donald Trump to give uh, uh, relief, hurricane relief, and it's all the government's fault. She has the means to fix up her grandmother's house if she wants to. I don't know why she's not doing that, uh, but publicly, yeah, she's blaming the government. What do you think of that kind of attitude? I think it's absolutely pathetic, and she constantly plays the victim. This is a woman who gets paid $174,000 a year. She is not married. She does not support a family. If her grandmother is living in squalor or having a hard time, she should be down there taking care of her. She should be paying for a place for her to live. She should be paying her bills and, and, and doing whatever she can to take care of her grandmother because that's what people should do is take care of your own family. But another thing she needs to realize is the government policies of Puerto Rico are the exact policies that she's trying to bring to the United States, which is socialism and socialism fails. And that's why Puerto Rico went bankrupt already, just like Greece did because of socialism. So this isn't President Trump's fault. This isn't anyone else's fault. This is this is socialist fault. And this is the policies that she wants with the Green New Deal. You see, AOC has no comprehension of the very policies that she's supporting. She lives in a fantasy world where she thinks socialism is going to solve everyone's problems. But actually, what it's going to do is it's going to put all of the people in the United States of America in terrible living conditions like the people that she's talking about in Puerto Rico. And she also needs to remember how much aid has been given to Puerto Rico. You see, it's the corrupt government in Puerto Rico that has been squandering the hundreds of billions of dollars that the U.S. has given to Puerto Rico over many years. And we shouldn't forget, Greg, remember those warehouses stocked full of clean water, baby formula, cots, generators, and so much aid that was sent from the good people in the United States of America to Puerto Rico. But guess what the government did? They shoved it away in warehouses and never gave it to the people. So you see, AOC needs to let go of her government is God and government fixes all the problems. And she needs to wake up to reality and realize that it's government that fails people and it's independent liberty and freedoms is how people can take care of themselves. 
and that's why America is a great country. Wow. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'll point out that AOC should know that there are plenty of Home Depots down there. We actually have a map. There are like 100 she could choose from. They're all over the place. Home Depot, I believe, was started in Georgia. Uh, yeah. Marjorie Taylor Greene, we appreciate it so much. Uh, continued uh, success, and uh, we'll talk soon. Many thanks. Thank you, Greg. All right. Be right back. All right, Grant Sinchfield joins us for a quick preview of the Grant Show, as I like to call it. Grant, what's going on? Well, I don't know if you heard another leak in the Matt Gates investigation that he's being investigated for obstruction. So, Greg, here's the deal. Roger Stone, Papadopoulos, Manafort, all convicted of obstruction. It seems to be the last ditch effort by the feds. No charges yet against Matt Gates. What is this all about? Well, guess what? Matt Gates is going to come on the show and address this directly. That's what we got tonight. You've been talking to Congressman Gates a lot. Uh, just what's your sense overall? I mean, there was all that smoke, nothing happened. I think they're hassling the wrong guy. What's your take? You know, I think everybody deserves at least uh, the presumption of innocence and all of these leaks, nobody should be subjected to leaks like this when there's an investigation going on. And I'll tell you this, Matt Gates has been very staunch from the start about coming out saying he's innocent and he's not doing it quietly, which is very different from people that typically are guilty of things. So we'll see. <laughs> right, right. All right, Grant, sounds great. Uh, we'll be watching Grant Stinchfield. Thank you. Is Hunter Biden in even more trouble? Uh, it would appear so, but then again, his father is the president and nobody seems to be uh, too interested in um, really aggressively investigating him. But uh, there is another investigation. Let's take a look at this, please. The Justice Department is investigating the work of a consulting firm linked to him for potential illegal lobbying. The firm Blue Star Strategies took on a client in Ukraine. You may have heard of it, Burisma, while Hunter Biden served on its board. Uh, let's bring in our panel. We have Dick Morris, host of Dick Morris Democracy, right here on Newsmax, and of course, well-known presidential advisor. And Ellis Hennigan, Dow Jones Market Watch columnist, New York Times bestselling author. Welcome to you both. Um, Dick, first to you. What do you think? It doesn't seem like any of these investigations have any kind of momentum. Is this one different? No, it's not. The, the fundamental thing you need in an investigation is a prosecutor. And they don't have a prosecutor. Uh, the U.S. attorneys are all appointed by Biden. Uh, their staffs are basically cleansed of Republicans. They're Biden people. And uh, nobody's going to prosecute this. Uh, so you can investigate all you want, but nobody's going to bring it to a head. That doesn't sound like that should be the case, Ellis Hennigan. And I've heard that time and time again, that this is that the DOJ is political. These are political, not legal decisions that are being made. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, the guy's the president's son. Is he going to get cut a break? Probably. I, you know, do you think uh, Donnie and Eric had cut breaks along the line? I mean, we're all grownups here. Yeah, people get special uh, connections when they're related to presidents. I think we can all admit that. I mean, I hope you guys will admit it goes both ways. No, actually, when it comes to the Trump what? children, excuse me, when it comes to the Trump children, especially Donald Trump Jr., uh, when he was brought up to Capitol Hill, had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees, it does seem like there was a... Um, vendetta against the Trump children. So I'm not quite sure it goes both ways. We'll see what happens with this. Actually, if you don't mind, I would love to get your take, Ellison, um, on the filibuster. 
as you know, uh, filibuster suddenly, Democrats don't seem to like it. Joe Biden's calling it a relic of a racist past. Seen to work fine for a very, very long time. It had a role. Um, what's going to happen? Actually, I'm not sure that its history is, uh, is quite as grand as, as you're describing it. It's... Uh, most famous use was, as you know, in the, in the segregation days, to defeat a whole bunch of uh, civil rights legislations. I think at the moment it's likely to stand a little longer. I don't think the Dems have the votes to dump it. I think uh, there are at least two who are uh, uh, clearly reluctant to do it. And I think it's probably going to stick with us uh, until the next election. I know. You know, saying that the filibuster was responsible for um, to stop civil rights legislation, I mean, that's like saying voting uh, is responsible because people voted for bad measures or bad people at one point. That doesn't make voting bad. But, Dick, your thoughts, please. Well, the filibuster was a vicious, horrible institution that single-handedly promoted racism mm -hmm. in our society. Uh, but uh, it now has a new context. Uh, it's not just that it's stopping Democratic bills or Republican bills. It's that I think the country has been through a crash course on what happens when 55,000 people in Georgia change their minds. That's the total number that voted for Ossoff over, um, the, over the Republican. And, the, and, and that flip meant that the Senate became Democrat, the House was Democrat by nine seats, the president was Democrat, and the entire country is being put on its ear. Total change in everything. In the voting law, $6 trillion of debt, in unionization, in women's sports, and everything you can possibly, health care, everything you can think about is now totally changed because of a tiny number of votes in a single election, in a single state, at a single time. And people are saying, hey, wait a minute, the founders of the Constitution had in mind a system which would not be instantly responsive to the slightest gyration of public opinion. They have senators six-year terms, presidents four-year terms, and House members, they said, okay, we'll give you a two-year term. And when you look at the House, where it's basically an, an automaton body, where they do exactly what they're told to do all the time, and you look at the Senate, which is much more deliberative, where there really is compromise. The very fact that you have to get 10 people that are from the other party to agree with you to pass something significant. What an important thing that is in the country today. Forget the filibuster, the requirements. Of, we're not saying all 40 people. We're saying 10 of them. Take the 10 most conservative, the 10 most liberal, and get them to vote with you, and then you can pass something. And that's a very appropriate thing. It basically says govern in the middle. Hmm. Uh, here's Joe Biden calling out uh, Senator Cinema of Arizona and Senator Manchin of West Virginia. In June should be a month of action on Capitol Hill. I hear all the folks on TV saying, why doesn't Biden get this done? Well, because Biden only has a majority of effectively four votes in the House and a tie in the Senate with two members of the Senate who vote more with my Republican friends. Uh, but Ellis, he sold himself as this grand, uh, you know, legislative master, master of the Senate, Lyndon Johnson type who could reach across the aisle and get things done together. And it just seems so dismissive. What about all that talent he told us about? Well, he's uh, he's trying for sure. Dick made a great argument, I, I think, for the stabilizing effect of the of the, the this, this ancient process that we have here. But, you know, there's, there's another side to it, which is that it's made it so we can't get anything done. I mean, we agree on what the big problems are, by and large. Many of us even agree on what the solutions are. 
But without getting rid of the filibuster as it is now executed, it's going to be really, really hard to, to get an immigration plan or, a, or deal with infrastructure. There is a point at which, I think, and Dick makes a good case, but there's a point at which the paralysis itself becomes such a big national crisis that, you know what, maybe we just have to go one way or the other. Um, Dick, I understand it's you spoke with the president recently. What can you tell us? Well, I think that everybody is very happy that there is at least some stopgap somewhere. Hey, real quick, I want to make it clear. You talked to President Trump. Yeah. Can right. you share with us the, that the conversation? The president. Yeah, the, my, the my president. president. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But uh, I think that everybody is very grateful that the filibuster is slowing this process down. I mean, everything passes the House on a party-line vote. Nobody even reads the legislation. They just rubber stamp it. And you know, Ellis, if the if the stuff Biden was pushing was moderate, like that China bill that he's doing now about increasing aid to institutions to give us a technological edge to China, that looks like it's going to pass pretty easily. And if they accepted some Republican amendments, which were good ones, they're having a jurisdictional fight over which agencies should do it, you can compromise that. But when you come in with an immigration plan where you say open borders, everybody in, and huge incentives for them to stay here, and you come with a criminal justice package that says no bail and no mandatory sentences and let everybody out at a certain age, when you come in with, with stuff like that that is so radical, how do you expect bipartisanship? Gentlemen, we've got to leave it at there. Ellis, it's good to see you again. Let's do this again Always. very, very soon. Dick Morris, of course, will be watching your show right here on Newsmax on Saturday, 7.30, and we'll be right back. Vamos a parar un segundo, a enfocarnos. Vamos a visualizar nuestra idea, y vamos a romper con esperado. Hey, AOC, plenty of Home Depots in Puerto Rico. We heard via your Twitter that your abuela, your grandmother, her house has been trashed was trashed by the hurricane, saw those awful pictures. There are about a hundred or so Home Depots in Puerto Rico, and I think you owe it to your abuela to go to one of them and uh, or at least arrange it for her house to be redone. This is on you, not the government. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.